Hi, I'm Janet Harrison, founder of the People's Choice Wine Awards, and this is Open Up and Pour, a podcast about folk who are enthusiastic about wine and who know a good thing when they taste it. Each episode, I'll chat to one or two wine lovers, from industry insiders to regular punters, to find out what it is they love about wine and their favourite tipple. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. For more information about the People's Choice Wine Awards, go to peopleschoicewineawards.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. In this episode, I'm joined by Tom Holt, founder of Spanish wine producer Paso Primero, and writer and comedy performer Ilaria Passeri. Thanks to the Comedy Store in Manchester for letting us record here, and if you hear some rumbling, it's just the trains going over. The bottle we're sharing today is the Edge Pinot Gris 2017 from Martinborough, which was the winner of White Wine for Light Meals, and it was submitted by Seckford, who actually bought it today from Boots. So, uh, I don't know if you want to have a little try and yeah. see what you think. There is a spittoon. Is that just for show then, the spittoon? The spittoon, yes. <laughs> well, I thought if Ilaria was coming, <laughs> that she wouldn't perhaps oh, need oh, it. Already sorry, sorry casting this burn. Larry, lovely yes. job on that, Larry. Yeah. Oh, he did it properly, look. I'm not used to uh, Pinot Gris from Martin. I lived not far from there for a couple of years. Um, so, uh, Pinot Noir was the main grape. The okay. experience from Martinborough. That's lovely. Nice and fresh. Just what I need. Well, I was just thinking, me and my sister always say that, like, as a treat, we love to have, like, a big glass of cold, crisp white wine. Yeah. And then a big, unhealthy salad. Like All a right. chicken Caesar, and you go, oh, I had a salad. And a, but that's the kind of wine that is exactly, that's what we mean. There you go. Like, it's white wine crisp. for light meals. So Thank you, Larry. Perfect. Well, that's lovely. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, the Edge, uh, they do some very nice Pinot Noirs as well. But, yeah, very nice. And did you know Pinot Gris is the same as Pinot Grigio? I was going to ask you afterwards. Oh. But yeah. <laughs> I thought I'd get it in now. I thought I'd get it in now. So anyway, it's lovely to see you both. And um, start with you, Tom, if you don't mind. Uh, first of all, I was thinking Tom is from Shrewsbury, which you are, is that right? Yep, yeah, you're proud, yeah, yeah. Proud and then I was thinking, is it Shrewsbury or is it Shrewsbury? Well, it's Shrewsbury to me, so you skip out a load of the first lo- letters. Um, my brother... Um, was on the radio, read the news on the local radio station for a while. He's definitely a Shrewsbury. Uh, I am yeah. a Shrewsbury. Because I actually looked. Did you know there was a video to tell you how to pronounce it on YouTube? But it did say Shrewsbury, so I'm a bit confused well, I'm now. I'm definitely a Shrewsbury boy. Um, I, there's a bit of a divide between the town, but uh, yeah, it's okay. definitely Shrewsbury to me. Good. Good, glad we cleared that one up. Um, it's contentious. Oh, it's contentious. <laughs> exactly. There'll be people back home who are killing me for that. Oh, that's uh, very much what I say. So, how did a guy from Shrewsbury end up making wine in Spain? God, it's, it's a long. We might need to get through that bottle of uh, Pinot Gris to uh, tell this full story. Oh, but um, <laughs> I, I've been very fortunate, I think, in my uh, my career path. And um, basically, my entry into wine was very much a fluke. It was. I had to go home, live with my parents after a failed university attempt and took the only job I could find in town and that happened to be um, stacking shelves, sweeping floors at a local wine shop. The lucky point for me was that wine shop happened to be Tanner's Wines in Shrewsbury which is one of the oldest wine merchants in England, one of the most prestigious wine merchants in the country and I'd 
lived in Shrewsbury all my life and had never been in. Uh, I knew it existed, but it didn't mean anything to me. I was still very much that um, three bottles for a tenner from Tesco's at that point. Um, wine was not a flavour bomb. It was a means of drinking alcohol. Um, but I stumbled into this shop and a six-week job um, was followed by a two-and-a-half-year education into all of their wines they've got 1200 different wines on their shelves it's um it's like working in a living museum when you're there because they used to ship the wine in um used to ship port over in barrels and bottle it all themselves on the site so you you're in and amongst all these things from the 1800s and yeah i was very lucky absolutely fell into it and fell in love with wine as a result and then come on how did the Spain <laughs> thing <laughs> just well, that's the starting point. That's, on, the, okay. um, that's the bit where I got into wine and realised that wine was um, really exciting and there were so many different flavours and so many different things and it was um, such a broad church. But what I didn't fall in love with was you know, dealing with stacking shelves and sweeping floors and the, the mundane life of um, working as the, at the bottom rung of the, the retail sector. And I wanted to go and learn how to make it. And through... Um, a little bit of research, I found that there was a college just outside of Brighton called Plumpton who allow you to go and do a vocational degree course in wine production, which sounded like a, a good Great laugh. Great idea, yeah. And um, Tanners were really um, enthusiastic about me doing it. I'll read into that what you will about me leaving them and them being happy for me to go. <laughs> go. Um, but they kept me, I, I could go back and work there for Christmases and summers whilst being a student. So I would go down to Brighton and did three years, got a Bachelor of Science degree in wine production. The course is phenomenal. You start with tractor driving, which has six students <laughs> driving around an assault course with tractors. It's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. So you went from brushing up to uh, oh, riding a tractor, yeah. basically. And then yeah. by the end of it, you're doing um, shared placements with uh, the University of Champagne, discussing the nucleation site of bubbles in glasses and the full nine yards. So you, over the three years, you do absolutely everything. Make wines, sell wines, uh, market wines, and all the science behind how wine goes from grapes into... Or how juice goes from grapes into, into wine. Um, and it prepares you for a life in wine. Um, I was making, obviously, lots of sparkling wines and lighter-style wines whilst I was there. Wanted to progress, go and learn something new, and decided to go to New Zealand. Went to Hawke's Bay. Um, so not too far from where this Pinot Gris yes. made. Um, and spent two vintages out there as a cellar hand, making wine for Pasque Winery. Uh, big Malbecs, Cabernet Sauvignons, those sorts of things. Absolutely loved it out there, but progressed on, wanted to go and do something else, so we moved to Canada. And all of this is with my long-suffering wife, then girlfriends, <laughs> now wife. When we, we hadn't lived together in England, and we got together, and then six months later I said, I'm going abroad to make wine, do you want to come? So we actually lived together for the first time in New Zealand. Wow. It's <laughs> romantic, isn't it? <laughs> well, it had to work, right? There was no coming back from that. Um, and then after New Zealand, we decided we wanted to keep going, keep doing what we were doing, and went to Canada. Wow. And lived um, in between Niagara Falls and Toronto, <laughs> uh, in Ontario, and stayed there for three and a half years. Mm. Um, again, talking about luck, um, this was we went out to Canada for 10 week. We had 10-week jobs, both of us. Um, Emma, my wife, in retail and me in the, in the cellar. And then through um, a few different means, we were actually both promoted to the assistant manager role in our various various positions. So I became the assistant winemaker at Flat Rock Cellars, and that's why we stayed for three and a half years. Nice. Absolutely loved it, making world-class Pinot Noirs, Riesling. So I, filling out the, um, the lighter style of, of winemaking. Um, but 
as much as we loved Canada, we didn't necessarily fall in love with the winters. Yeah. It was a bit cold. Very cold, yeah. Minus 20-odds uh, throughout the winter. Minus 36 with the wind chill. Uh, we lived at... We were only a mile away from the cellar, and it would take us about an hour to get into work during the winter, digging all the snow and clearing the paths. And our ultimate goal is vineyard ownership. So we want to have our own vines, we want to have our own winery. And what we were witnessing in the in the vines in Canada, at that sort of temperature, you get dieback. So all the mm. young vines that were planted were, were dying off. And we just didn't have any money to, to risk on that sort of, you know, some, some vineyards were having 75% loss. Mm. That's a lot of your investment. Well, gone. yeah, it's all gone, isn't and it? So as much as we love the wines, and, and we've still got amazing friends out there, we, we wanted to... C- cut out some variables and for us that was coming back to uh, the old world i'd never made wine in uh, france spain or italy and so we were around the kitchen tables in the freezing cold winters discussing where do we want to go and writing pros and cons lists for all these places and it came down to the fact that i have a uh, gcse in spanish and that was the reason we went for spain we loved the wines anyway but we had to choose between their spain and uh, their france and italy and um, we wanted to put a DO on the back of our wines, a, a region. We wanted to have that gold standard where um, there was recognition for the wines we were making. We went through all the DOs in Spain. We're like, we can't afford Rioja. We can't afford Navarra. We can't af- afford Del Duero. So Somontano is the region up in the Pyrenees. It's one of the youngest DO. It is the youngest DO so in explain, Spain. So explain a DO. A, a DO is basically a geographical indication for the wine. So a bit like you can only make Stilton in Stilton you can only make Somontano wines in Somontano and the governing body of that region will dictate certain rules so allow you to plant certain styles certain varieties age your wine in a certain way label your wine in a certain way and Somontano is probably the most um, or the least strict shall we say there's gold standards your wine has to be certain um, hold uphold the quality of the region But there's 14 different varietals you can plant. There's no restriction on how you age the wines. There's no restrictions on how you label the wines. So we thought as a young uh, company, it would give us a chance to make wines quite quickly and hopefully sell them quite quickly so we could start earning some money and build the business upwards. And so we packed up a van with a tent and a couple of chairs, gas stove, and uh, a bucket load of dream and ambition and, uh, and set off and drove to Somontano to knock on doors and see if we could do this thing where it's called virtual winemaking. Yeah. It's where you rent space in a cellar, use their kit, use their infrastructure to make your wines. It's like Breaking Bad, isn't it? <laughs> we'll get to that later. All right, right. <laughs> um, but it's it's really common um, in the new world where there's not so many wineries, there's not so many head winemaker roles. So for the next generation of assistant winemakers who don't have money, who don't have family links to wine, you go and work for that winery and then after hours you start making your own wines. So typically you'll be their assistant winemaker and then use their fruit and make your wines, give you something to release as quickly as possible and get your leg up and hopefully find backer or at least mm. a, a, a route to market um, but in Spain that's um, not really done <laughs> so no. if you want to work in wine in Spain you just work in wine it's such a big industry it's like uh, dreaming of becoming a mechanic and living in Detroit it's just mm. not it's, it's not what you dream of it's just what you do yeah. it's what everyone there is about so we're knocking on doors and people just looked at us like we were absolutely mad they mm. just thought we had no clue what we were doing 
And it took us a while to, to find uh, a winery that would sit down with us, have a chat with us, understand what our proposal was. Um, and eventually, you know, when the movie of this story gets made, this is the bit that no one will re- <laughs> Ilaria will could be in it. Well, this is this is what we need, you know. Yeah. We need a writer. I'm not a writer, so we no, need to No, but I want to be in it as well. <laughs> Don't push me to the writer, bag. Oh, she can write it. <laughs> writer, <laughs> director, star. I mean, this is this is all, this is your vehicle now. Oh, I'm glad I came along today, John. Yeah. <laughs> the drinks will be good in the catering van. I can sort that bit out. Um, but we were... We were ready to leave sometime. We, we, we hadn't found our, our niche and we had one meeting left and we were packed up ready, thinking about moving to Navarra to go and see if we could find anything there. And uh, the last meeting was supposed to last an hour and I think it lasted for about five or six and in Spanish fashion that includes about three or four different meals and <laughs> half a dozen bottles of wine. And we'd found this guy who was um, the same age as me, uh, quite a young uh, winery, so they hadn't been making wines for, for too long, even though they'd been growing grapes for five generations or something ridiculous like that. And they got the project. They understood what we were trying to achieve yeah. and we wanted to make what I would consider Spanish wines for the English palate which is not what they had been doing because they'd been selling to China who wanted sweeter wines. So we were offering them an option that they hadn't uh, looked at before. And um, the rest, as they say, is history. Gosh, that's very exciting story, yeah. It's Look, a nice story, isn't it? I'm hilarious. surprised that she stayed with you the whole time, though. Yeah, me too. Because <laughs> that sounds like a lot of ups and downs. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I've done to deserve that, to be honest. But, uh, I know, because you say you like, uh, you make fun and enjoyable wines. Yeah, that, absolutely. That's, you know, what does that mean? Really? Well, the, the goal for us, when we were sat around that kitchen table in Canada discussing what we wanted to make, we kept coming back to this idea of the wines that we fell in love with when we were first getting into wine, which... We don't have a lot of money, so we were drinking good quality, but just round, easy drinking, no hard edges, typically red wines that go with pizza barbecue on their own. Yeah. Um, so they've got a bit of acidity, um, loads of character, but they're really fruit-driven. Mm. So they're sort of red wines that you can drink happily after a bad day at work on a Tuesday or have with a steak on a Saturday night or in front of the yeah. TV or whatever. That's the sort of red wine that we wanted to make. Yeah. The sort of wine where if you forgot everything you knew about wine and someone said, can you describe what wine tastes like? Yeah. You'd have a punt at it tasting like this sort of that, red wine. Yeah. And that's what we've always wanted to do. Yeah, because I know we've had this conversation before about wine terminology being really quite confusing for the sort of average yeah, wine drinker. And I know that you're sort of anti all that sort of stuffiness around wine. Um, does it annoy you, Ilaria? It a bit, does because or? when people say, oh, this has got a blah 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 finish and with hints of chocolate I've never had a hint of chocolate in a wine I don't know if that's a that's a thing that people always seem to say I could describe a wine as being like spicy I get that but all these other things picking up different flavors I don't get and I don't know if it's if it comes with age I don't know if well I'm 31 now I thought (laughs) that by now I'd know but yeah it does annoy me well I think the worst thing that the wine industry does is make you feel bad about that yeah Yeah. because that's not what it's about. Wine is not about um, scoring points or being the cleverest person in the room. Or we, we, as an industry, we're so scared to admit that there's alcohol in wine, and we yeah. like drinking it because it makes us feel good and we yeah. have fun with our friends and it tastes great. But it's it's a social lubricant and it should be enjoyed. And we yeah. lose sight of that so much. And so when people come to tastings and I give them a spiel about the wine, if they don't get that, this. They're done. They stand off, and they're like, "Oh, yeah. I, I feel bad that I haven't joined you on this 
process of tasting. You're allowed to just say, I like that one. Yeah. I'd have that yeah. with my dinner or I'd have that on its own. For me, I think that that's enough. But of course, there needs to be a little bit of, there can be pretension like, attached to it because there's so much more that goes into it. But it can be enjoyed on both levels, I think. Yeah. And if you want to yeah. learn more, I'm happy to help you. Yeah. And you can get more out of it. But it's not my job to tell you whether that's the right or wrong thing to do. If you mm. just want to drink it and be done with it, then fine. Yeah. But mm. if we all need to be as open as possible as an industry to help you make the next step if mm. you want to make the next step. But then equally, when you turn, turn it round, like in a supermarket, and you go, it would say, oh, served with fish. I think, oh, I'll eat that with what I... I'll have that with whatever <laughs> what I, I want. Like. But I get that that's what you're saying. Like, it's just a little pointer. But I'm like, right, go on then. I'll have it with salmon this time. But then... Maybe a, a curry next week. Backlabels are a nightmare. Yeah, but but you have to have one, otherwise people would be like, "This bloke doesn't know what he's talking no, about." I spend longer worrying about back labels than I do about anything else. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, there's something about there's an article recently that I read um, saying that a lot of winemakers really worry about the front label, obviously because that's very important. Lots of people sort of see it, it's visually attractive and everything, but actually it's the back label that they're not getting quite right. Mm. That when you look at like beers and spirits and yeah. you know they're very in the way they describe it and everything, it sort of brings it more to life, uh, you know, rather than what you know traditional winemakers should I we say? Should, but we could, we've got a lot to learn from the beer industry. Yeah. I think they've pushed the boundaries of packaging and style, and uh, some of it's a bit. Um, aggressive yeah and uh, i think it would put off the casual beer drinker some of the stuff but i think there's a halfway house between the two and you're right the talk saying this goes well with fish i mean it's how's that fish been cooked what I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah uh, yeah you yeah this we we have we paint ourselves into corners as winemakers we're like i don't want to put anyone off so yeah I, you yeah. want to sell your wine broads yeah. And so we've just taken to telling our, a little bit of our story on the back label because That's it's, nice. it's just a bit, yeah. gives you a bit of a connection to us as winemakers. But I, you read some and you just think, well, what have you put this yeah. on the back for us? But <laughs> some people like it, don't they? Like, all oh, my family live in Italy and a lot of the wines over there, like the local ones, doesn't have a label. It's just in a jug or, and that's just how it is. So it would be nice to have a bit of a label on some of them over there, but... Because yeah, you're yeah. getting married, aren't you, in yeah, Italy? And- in Marino, which is next to Frascati. So obviously there's loads of wine around there. But I wouldn't know what, what they're called because when they give them to you, it's just made by like an old bloke that lives down the road. <laughs> and like my uncle <laughs> will just go out with this huge jug. Down, we don't know where he goes, just down the road somewhere. <laughs> Comes back and it'll, oh, it'll just be a cloud, just cloudy. No one knows what it is. And it he'll have a little bit of it but all day but he goes just a drop just a drop but when you're having just a drop all day (laughs) yeah it's quite a lot isn't it and it's oh it's there's so much tannin in it it's just oh that doesn't go with fish (laughs) that doesn't go with anything but he just puts it on the windowsill with a little bit of tinfoil on the top i mean nice going against all the rules but he he likes it so have you chosen your wines for your wedding um well or do you just have what's what's brought in the yeah, jug it's all well it no it's a bit posher than that oh, right. so it's all wine from frascati um nice. so it will be nice um it's mainly white that we're having um because with red i'm still at a stage where if it's like a pinot noir then i can handle it but anything more than that i feel like i just have to be sat near a fire in pajamas with one big glass of it i feel like i don't know what to how's, do with it yet <laughs> how's that for a back label oh, yeah, but that's, that's it that's done yep yeah, i'm in <laughs> whereas white is just a lot easier to drink can i have that photo for the back label is that all right it's, yeah we'll talk about we'll, this later right, <laughs> so i do i do quite like like a light red but 
like I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to order if I went into a bar and had a glass of it. I'm still reliant on someone else to say, oh, you might like this one. Mm. And usually I go, oh, yeah, that was lovely. And I usually not liked it as much as a white, so... But Hopefully I mean, we're getting better in England so that you can go to bars and tell people what you yeah. like and, and get a bit better feedback than it yeah. used to be. But, yeah, I completely understand. You've got to find your path. And uh, yeah. if that's lighter style reds, then that's where you've got to start. From, that might right? just be what I always like. Yeah. I've always had this assumption that, oh, once I'm older, I'll be that really classy woman with like a, a big, bold red. But maybe that's just not what I like. Oh, I feel the same about whiskey. Yeah. I feel like oh. uh, there's an expectation of me to enjoy whiskey. Yeah. And I've tried, I, I mean, it's passable, but it's not something that I'd ever reach for. And I it think looks manly, just... though, doesn't it? That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? I mean, it's... Drink more whiskey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't come here for a character <laughs> assessment. <laughs> anyway, shall we change the subject? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was looking at the blurb for your new show, Ilaria. Oh, yeah. And you are described as Lady Ilaria. And I think it's yeah. Lady Ilaria's drawers. Sounds a bit rude. Well, no, not when you see the picture, though. It okay. is literally just a set of drawers. Okay. Um, Chester drawers, not my knickers on her. Okay. Um, yeah, so my mum, a few years ago, as a joke for Christmas, made me a lady. So I've my land my plot of land is like a square foot in the lake district somewhere I should go and have a little picture taken you've actually there. got a piece yeah of, oh, I see. so right, she okay. did it as a joke technically i could sign a check as lady Lara. i mean i wouldn't no one takes check now anyway do they really know <laughs> <laughs> but um yes yeah, so it was just a joke and it's just it's in my downstairs loo it's it was just a silly present but um that helped me have like a bit of a brand for my writing so when i started at my blog it just felt a lot easier to write under being lady laria and um, the Lady Lara's Draws show is a collection of my stories put into a show with like a bit of a through line. Um, and on the picture, I've got a rubber chicken hanging out of one drawer, a jelly yeah. cloth hanging out of one, um, chewing gum, like all stuff that is related back into the stories. Yeah. And like, I interact with those props during the show and stuff. But it's, re- it's bonkers because I did my show in York, but it's a tiny little chest of drawers that I painted up that I've just attached onto some wheels. So everywhere I go, I can just pop all my props and all my costumes into the drawers yeah. and just take them on the train. So You actually take the drawers on the yeah. train? All right. Yeah, it's the, perfect, it's the perfect thing. I mean, I look weird, but... Well, yes. Yeah, it's bonkers. Wine in there? Any wine in there? No. no, but I think as, as the stress of getting older, I think I might have to just a little one in, hidden in the bottom. So are you bringing it to, to Manchester? Yeah, so in February, end of February, I'm bringing it to Manchester. Um, just two small shows. That's still like a work in progress. Then um, later on in the spring, I'll be doing a, a bigger show in Manchester to get ready for like Camden Fringe and Women in Comedy in October. Mm. And will we be able to get tickets anywhere? Yeah, or? so if you have a look on my Twitter, at Ilaria Passery, or on my blog, Lady Ilaria and other stories, then I'll post links up there. There you go, there's a plug. Yeah, there we go. So how did, how did you get into all this? I don't even know the... I mean, I know you, but I don't know the answer to that yeah. question. Oh, it is, it is really bonkers. So I've just had a really eccentric upbringing. Um, so my dad's Italian, but we're not in touch with him anymore, but we are all of his family but they don't talk to him either. So he's a bit of a wrong un. Then my <laughs> mum's Scottish, so that's quite a, a strange combination anyway. Then I've got a brother who's autistic. Um, my sister's a vet nurse, and then I've, I've ended up just sort of trying so many different things and then got to 30 and went, right, I think I need to write all this down now because I've just ended up doing lots of bizarre jobs. Like I was an elf at the grotto <laughs> in uh, Manchester <laughs> Arndale for like four years. And then I've um, taught abroad and 
just so many just strange jobs like it got to a stage every job meant I'd have to wear like a weird hat or <laughs> and then I did a job where I was um in York Mays um which is like a farm for families to come to and I was doing a witch job there and I did that for like nine years and it was just me in like a wooden hut dressed as a witch just waiting for kids to come in and tell them stories Oh, and I did a job the other week where it was inside an inflatable mushroom in Burnley telling stories. <laughs> so I thought if I don't start writing these down, that I experience it but for nothing. Right. So I thought, I've got to get it so out. So all there. these experiences are in your show, is that right? Yeah. Sort oh, of. Kind of. On. Yeah. Like there's, it's a lot about upbringing. So there's a lot of stories about family holidays. Mm. And they were never exotic. And um, there's one called the J-Cloth incident where me and my sister went on a ride that was broken. So the bloke tied us in with the J-Cloth. And so that made it into the... Yeah, the, and dead pets. We All of our pets kept dying. It's all about, like, funerals. We held them in the garden. And just really, really strange, <laughs> but accessible as well, I think. An eclectic mix. pets, haven't we? So, Absolutely, yeah. yes. Goldfish. Dead pets and weird jobs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's stuff everyone, everyone's experienced. I think I just experienced them for a bit longer. Mm. I think normally sort of late 20s people go, well, I'll sort it out now. Well, I'm 32 next month and I haven't yet. So I've so. not sorted it. Well, let's hope this is... keep writing about it. Yeah. Well, there's sort of some similarities between mm. you two. I think you're sort of yeah. going, it, going for it uh, yeah, independently, really. Um, yeah. I think a disparate background is a good starting point for... Um, having that naivety to plunder into something completely off the wall that other people yeah. would say, I can't believe you're doing that, it's so brave or so so crazy or whatever it is. But if you haven't really found your rhythm beforehand, it doesn't seem that mad to jump no, into something and have a go at it. I forget until I suddenly look down and I'll be on a tram wearing a crown. So I do, when I perform, <laughs> I wear a little tiara and a 50s dress. And then I've got Don't an old-fashioned... Yeah. <laughs> That's how he makes his wine. And then I'll look down and I've got my Chester drawers with like a rubber chicken hanging out of them. And then I sometimes think, oh, that's a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> but only occasionally. And I'm fine with that now. I don't really care, so... I suppose you don't always have the problem no. of people sitting next to you on the tram then, do you? No, it still happens. Oh, right. And there'll be loads of other seats. And I think, Even with the drawers and the chicken. And... It draws them in. It's, like, okay. it's a magnet for the weirdos. <laughs> I was going to ask the lady title. Does that help you get restaurant bookings? Is that... Uh, can you, oh, can you drop I've not actually in, tried like, that. Yeah. yeah, but then they'd see me, wouldn't they? But, oh, God, but car, <laughs> is it cheaper car insurance? I mean, this, this could be the best. Sheila's Wheels, is that the... Sheila, is that <laughs> if you're a lady, oh, probably not. <laughs> drop a lady and then they, you know, people start taking you quite I've seriously, not tried don't they? To, no, I've not tried to use it for evil yet, but... Oh, no, you should do that. Yeah, yeah. that's good So idea. in terms of wine then, I mean, presumably you were, if you were... I mean, is that a stereotypical thing to say? If you were no, because it is around, Italian, you were yeah. brought, you were brought up on some having some great wine. Yeah, or? because the culture is just very different. So, I think in England there is this thing where it's people they get drunk on wine over here, don't they? Whereas in Italy, it's everywhere and it will be on every family table every night, but only the tiniest bit. Um, so, it's it's just very different, I think. Well, I say only a little bit. Not my uncle. He's he goes yeah with him, the jug. But, but on the whole, even like little kids will have the tiniest bit with their meal on an <laughs> evening. But it's just not. Um, people maybe wouldn't enjoy a glass on their own. It's a social thing. Whereas over here, people would have a glass on their own after a tough day, wouldn't they? Yeah. But well, I think it's just because it is everywhere. It's easier to get hold, and it's cheaper in Italy. You can buy an okay 
bottle of prosecco for like one euro. Mm. Yeah, we'll save, we'll save the duty okay. chat for another another podcast. Yes, let's not get. Yes, let's not. But I, I completely agree. The, the attitude on the continent um, it does seem a little stereotypical to be an Englishman saying this, but mm. their attitude towards booze does seem to be healthier. We go mm. out um, when we're in, in Spain, and there's you know the family are out all night kids grandparents and everything in between until you know 11 midnight mm. and beyond and there's wine on the table but it's i think it's more like they treat wine like we treat salt and pepper it's on the yeah. table to add to the meal yeah. not to be the reason for it and there's it's much more acceptable over there to only drink half of the bottle yeah carry not on finish it <laughs> not finish it whereas we I'd do feel like do that here. you <laughs> yeah. think well i've paid for that and you it's not that you want you don't want to be rude it's not that it's just you think well why would i leave it yeah, and yeah. It's, it's much more of a, a part of the meal, yeah. perhaps. To um, enhance it as opposed to be the reason you've all met up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's, I love it. I love the continental attitude. And it's coming in a little bit more over here. And, yeah, and bars are getting definitely. a bit better at serving wine in carafes and not having to buy a full bottle all the time. I think that's a nice progression where yeah. people can go and have mm. one glass or two glasses or share half bottle with their whoever they're having their dinner with. Mm. And that's a good step forward. So yeah, lovely. Wine yeah. would benefit so much if we could distance it from that binge drinking culture and it was mm. seen as a um a more interesting world of drink perhaps than other things that are available do you think by sort of purposely making sort of fun approachable wines or whatever the terminology was that you you sort of helping with that do you I think, think the goal, the, i mean if i was to have a uh, lofty ethos behind it um what i really want is to is for people to who are coming out of the supermarket um, buying realm and going into the independent merchant world and I, I want these wines that we make to be sort of that the entry level wine from that stage of your wine drinking process you've walked into a merchant's with the house wine in that merchant and you suddenly realize that oh there's more value to this wine than there is to the six pound fifty stuff I was drinking mm. from co-op or Sainsbury's or Aldi or wherever it was and the best way for us to achieve that is to make really approachable Mm. easygoing wines that you know it's we do this really weird thing when we go out for dinner in england if you go for go out for dinner with a group of 10 people we'll have eight nine different meals across those 10 people and one person will order one bottle of wine for the whole table because they did a wine course in the 70s or whatever it is (laughs) and expect that wine to go around the whole table with all those different meals because we don't have single by the glass options I want to be the wine that can fit into that English model and make at least most of those people happy because it will go with pizza, barbecue, dinner, roast veg, whatever it is that you're having because there's enough flavour and acidity in there. And by doing that, when you buy the wine in a merchant and take it home, it's going to work whichever night of the week you have it and hopefully validate the reason for escaping the supermarkets, escaping Mm. the homogenous brands that you get there and suddenly be that first step into... Mm. um, hopefully a new wine adventure see i'd find that easier like um my fiance for work was given a couple of years ago a really really expensive bottle of red wine and we can't remember the name of it we were trying to work it out last night so i could mention it but <laughs> we were scared to drink it we so we ended up we had it for ages and ages and ages we just kept, kept looking at it and every time i'd cook i'd think well, we can't have that tonight so we ended up spending a fortune on this meal just so that we could open that wine and it, was, it wasn't even that good. It was all right. But there was too much emphasis put on it. We were terrified. We thought, yeah. we can't have it with that. Yeah. It, was just, it was like haunting us in the kitchen and stuff. So I'd rather not have that. I'd rather have something that was really nice, but that didn't scare me. <laughs> yeah, it was oh, it's too a scary it's, it's a big problem. Yeah. People have these lovely gifts and stuff, and then 
get scared about drinking yeah. it. Yeah. But that's... Because you think you're going to ruin it the second you open it. You think, oh, well, if I'm not having it in the right glass. And obviously stuff like that does matter. But it then it becomes not enjoyable anymore. You can't enjoy the film you're watching or you're just thinking, God, well, I need to savour this now because it's... <laughs> So Posh. that's going to be your next part of your next uh, production, the scary bottle of wine. Scary, but yeah, <laughs> still don't know what it was called. I know oh that it didn't go with the beef that we had. There. <laughs> it didn't go. It was it was quite sweet. It was really thick. You could have like stood a spoon in it. Is that a, a wine no. term that you no, use? Perhaps it was wasn't port, was it? No, it wasn't. Oh, right, no, okay. I know that it wasn't port. That's, okay. that's the end of my knowledge. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe in your podcast app and leave us a review. Open Up and Pour is a Dap-Dip production. Thanks to the original Rabbit Foot Spasm Band for the theme music. And for more information about the People's Choice Wine Awards, go to peopleschoicewineawards.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. <laughs>